It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahada Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. That was good while it lasted, wasn't it? Yes, the rain is on the way. I'll be telling you more, giving you the weather forecast coming out around about two o'clock today. Anyway, there is rain on the way the next few days, getting windy as well. We had a great old spell there, had me most much needed and very welcome indeed but just you'll need to wrap up and uh, shelter yourself from the moisture for the next few days but look it's uh, just part and parcel of the Irish weather isn't it up and down in and out you name it welcome to late lunch this Tuesday afternoon I have a question for you and I'd love if you'd answer it for me today I know you will and I know people will respond when I ask you this question here's the question today on late lunch how often do you change your bed sheets and pillowcases? I'm curious. I won't out you or anything, I promise. So you can put your name to it if you don't want it. It doesn't matter at all to me. Uh, but how often? And I'm going to tell you why I'm asking you this question in a little while on the show. Uh, you'll be intrigued, I promise you. So come on, let me know today on Late Lunch. Boys and girls out there, I ask for your help. How often do you change your bed sheets and pillowcases Honest answers, please, to 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. That's 086-1800-658. Come on, let me know what you do in the land of Nod, how often you change those sheets on the beds and the pillows. I'm intrigued to know, and you'll be intrigued when I tell you a little bit more later on in the show. You can call in as well if you want, 1850-715-958. Let's be having you. Welcome to the show. I welcome you again. Great to have you with us this afternoon. A little bit later on, you know I'm walking for Slav. I've got great support, honestly. And the St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club, well, they've done something really special. They really have. Adrian Hillman is joining me later on in the show to tell you more. Tony Conlon is with us today, a motoring man. He's reviewing, in particular, the Ford Puma, the Qashqai and the Suzuki Vitara. We'll also be chatting to Mary Kenny. Oh, she's wonderful, Mary. She's uh, been a royal watcher for years. So what did she make of the Meghan, Harry and Oprah interview? What did you make of it? Well, we'll find out a little bit later on. Mary's with us on the show after two o'clock today. But we begin this Tuesday with one of our regulars. Yes, he's become an established part of Late Lunch at this stage. He's head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. I'm delighted to say hello again to Professor Paul Moyne. Hello, Paul. Good afternoon, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Just uh, the latest sort of uh, talk uh, in government circles. I see the Taoiseach was out this morning 
saying he was disappointed with the supply of vaccines. Uh, Paul, you know we're part of the EU block in terms of getting our deliveries. Should we look elsewhere or will the Johnson & Johnson, as we've talked about before, vaccine once it's approved, sort of uh, bring the numbers of vaccines that we need? I think with time, the, the number of vaccines that were required, we, we will have plenty down the road, but, but that doesn't serve the, the requirement now to vaccinate as many of vulnerable people uh, very quickly. So certainly in the first quarter, first three months of the year, the delivery is not going to be what it was intended to be. So that's very disappointing in terms of, you know, obviously people who would have been scheduled to have been vaccinated haven't been vaccinated. So that is a disappointment. So then you have to begin, I think, to look to see can you move and can you get additional supplies beyond what's available within the EU framework or even within the EU framework where in the case of some of the vaccines, some of the countries maybe have surplus vaccines that maybe they've decided not to use. My view is that all of these vaccines are good and whatever vaccines we can get our hands on and get them as quickly as possible because I think, you know, the next couple of months is is a critical period because the the transmission of the virus is reasonably high still, even though thankfully it's going down, but probably not as quickly as we would like. So we have there a couple of months where, you know, the rates are probably going to be reasonably high. So we want to get as much vaccine in as possible to protect vulnerable people. And that's why one of the things I sort of certainly would support is re-looking and re-evaluating to potentially use the AstraZeneca vaccine, especially for the over 70s, because at the moment the over 70s I mean, vaccinated, obviously, the Pfizer and Moderna one, and there's a problem with the Moderna supply as well. And the good thing about the AstraZeneca one is we now know it works in the older age groups. That was the reason why it wasn't recommended, because the data in the phase three wasn't sufficient. There wasn't sufficient numbers in those older age groups. Whereas we now know in the real world where countries have rolled out this vaccine and we're getting data from, for example, the UK, Scotland, showing clearly that it works in these older age groups. And the other advantage is in terms of its ease of storage, distribution, administration. It can be administered very quickly and very widely. And then thirdly, Jerry, is it's actually very effective even after the first dose. And the second dose isn't required for an additional 12 weeks. So you can imagine they're being able to vaccinate a lot of people very quickly and get them protected over a short time period. So yes, to come back to your original question, yes, I think we need to look at all possibilities in terms of securing more vaccines, not necessarily in the long term, as I think we will probably have sufficient and probably surplus in the long term. But we're looking at a critical time now over the, the first four to five months of this year where we need to get as many vaccines in as possible and protect especially the most vulnerable when the level of transmission of the virus is quite high. So go where we can get it. I see the Sputnik vaccine, which is the Russian one, is now to be produced in Italy as well. There was talk of going cap in hand to uh, Boris Johnson and saying, can you help us out here? You do that, Paul. You wouldn't have, have any qualms not about going outside the EU. No, not, not, not at all. And then certainly uh, the UK, and if the UK is surplus, but obviously each country, Jerry, they won't have surplus until all of their yes. The, the, yes. Are, are, are vaccinated. So I think countries would be reluctant to give vaccine until all of their eligible population sort of a, with respect to the Sputnik uh, the last I read there was the European Medicines Agency were waiting on data from that so um, now obviously you'd like to see it you know getting regulatory approval and the regulatory framework that we use is obviously the European Medicines Agency mm. that links in with their uh, HPRA which is their national regulatory agency. Paul, I was uh, in a queue in a, a supermarket doing my weekly shop at the weekend and, you know, putting my stuff through. I, 
I overheard two women having a conversation, and I got a little heated, I have to say, about the vaccine and whether they'd take it or not. And one was saying, oh, this vaccine it doesn't protect you completely. You can still get this and still be ill. And the other lady was saying, oh, no, I'm getting it. It completely uh, protects you. You won't get it. You're totally safe. For the sake of listeners today, will you just explain what a vaccine does, how it protects yeah, so basically, so if, you, if you're exposed to a virus, let's say it's a natural infection, when you're exposed to a virus, your immune system sees something that doesn't belong to the body, and that's the virus. And your immune system then does two things. It makes antibodies against proteins in that virus. And it also makes these T cells in your immune system as well. So the antibodies, the purpose there is to stop the virus from infecting your cells. And the cells, these T cells that you also generate, they, if your cells are infected, they actually kill off those virally infected cells. So what does a vaccine do? Well, a vaccine is a small part or a small component of that virus. So, for example, with the SARS coronavirus 2, there's 29 proteins in that virus. One of them projects onto the outside of the virus. It's called the spike protein. It gives the name to the, like this crown-like structure. And that spike protein is the protein that allows the virus to attach to our cells and infect our cells. So with all of these vaccines, basically, in various forms, you're essentially given that protein, sometimes directly the protein, sometimes the gene that makes the protein, like the RNA, for example. So then when you get the vaccine, your immune system now sees this spike protein. Now, not in the context of a virus, but it sees this spike protein. And again, it recognizes this protein doesn't belong to myself. So I'll generate an immune response against it. So I generate antibodies. I generate those T cells. Now you've got protection because if you're exposed to the actual virus, you already have the antibodies, you already have the T-cells. Hopefully the antibodies will stop you from getting infected. Even if you are infected, the T-cells will stop you getting very sick. So do these vaccines work? Absolutely they work. All of the vaccines there to be remarkably effective, especially in terms of all of them protect against serious illness, hospitalization, death. Clearly the data now, we're getting real-world data now showing that they probably suppress transmission as well, which probably means they help in terms of uh, suppressing uh, infection. Uh, And even if they didn't achieve that, vaccines that prevent you from getting very ill and being hospitalised, they're enormously effective as well. And I always, the the comparison I always make, Jerry, is in terms of trying to figure out should you have the vaccine or not. Look at the risks of getting the vaccine and look at the risks of getting the virus. And there is no comparison, really, in terms of those risks. So I would always say absolutely in this situation, these vaccines, number one, they're safe. Number two, they're extremely effective and even more effective probably than our higher hopes would have been at the very start. You spoke last week to me about, you know, the numbers. We crossed the half million mark, uh, thank God, at the weekend there with vaccines administered. And you were just mentioning that um, the uh, numbers covered would be higher because people who had COVID have a level of immunity. I just saw during the week now that they think that's at least six months. Yeah, so... I think it's actually longer. I would say that, and I saw that headline there, I'd say it's at least six months because, okay, we, we know now for at least six, eight, nine months, I would say, that if you've been infected with the virus, you know, you are you are protected for a certain period of time. And to a degree, Jerry, we didn't really need to wait for those studies because, you know, there's been hundreds of millions of people infected worldwide and there have been very few documented cases of reinfection. So I think that's clearly telling you. And again, we shouldn't lose sense of our appreciation of how our immune system works. 
this is a new virus, yes, but our immune system is our immune system. And we generate an immune response. That immune response lasts for some time. So in this situation, yes, we'll get, I would say we get protection for longer than six months. Um, and as long as we can measure, because the virus has only been around for a certain time, I think that protection is still in place. And hopefully with a vaccine, we will get to still uh, maybe even a longer duration of immunity. So certainly, yes, you get protection. You generate an immune response. That immune response is durable, at least for a long number of months, if not a small number of years. Uh, speaking to a frontline uh, worker yesterday, Mary McCallan on the show for, in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, and she um, was on with us uh, to celebrate International Women's Day, Paul, and she was reflecting on the last year when the uh, situation arose first last March and through the year and the very difficult days in January. And she was just saying, just as uh, to caution, and I see uh, Paul read on today, that the numbers are, are still quite high. Hospitals are coping now and the numbers are coming down. And on the other hand, NEFIT last evening, uh, as positive as I've ever heard them, uh, you know, saying that there's been sustained progress. So there's a, there's a, there's a fine balance there, isn't there, between both? There is, yeah. And I certainly have been more... The, the, the numbers have been decreasing, not as quickly as you would like to see, but certainly in the last seven to ten days, I think the rate of decrease has been quite good. And I think week on week, you're looking at maybe a 20% uh, reduction. So I think if we're... If we're heading in that direction, that's that's a good thing. Again, I've said this to you before, Jerry, I'm I'm very hopeful that as we progress into the deep spring, into early summer, uh, that should help us as well. That should be our friend in terms of this seasonality thing where the virus probably doesn't transmit as well. Whether we get down to the same numbers as last summer depends on the variant. Because the variant transmits a bit better, significantly better. So if it's transmitted really, really strongly, it potentially could break through that seasonality barrier. But I would be very hopeful and hopefully we're beginning to see the beginning of that where the seasonality is beginning to help us as well as all the <clears throat> restrictions that are currently in place. So again, I'd be more hopeful. There may be some blips along the way, but certainly I think by the time we get to early summer, we should be in a much better place. Looking ahead to April the 5th, which is uh, you know just after the Easter holiday, and that is uh, the next big date for everybody. The government says they're going to make an announcement ahead of that, which is good news. Surely at this stage, Paul, we have to really be positive and hope that there is going to be a loosening of restrictions. I think, I think it'll have to be, Jerry, because again, if you look at some of the comparisons with other countries across Europe, in terms of lockdowns, the number, and there's different ways of describing lockdowns, and it's very difficult to, and different lockdowns mean different things in different countries, but certainly across Europe, we've had the longest number of work days, closed work days, uh, as a result of lockdowns. Like, for example, you know, some of the numbers I've seen, we're probably around 150, 160, compared to Germany, 30 or 40, and yet our death rates are quite are quite similar. So I think there will have to be, I think the there will be an appetite for some of the restrictions, and again, not to release everything at once. We can be cautious, but begin especially to look at some of the, the low-risk activities and some of them are social activity, whether it be outside activity, allowing people to meet up outside, maybe some sport coming back, especially sport for children, Jerry. That's something I feel strongly about. Like, it's very difficult to find documented cases of super spreader events outside. I saw an article there written earlier this week. It's been very difficult to find documented cases of spreader events during sporting activities, direct sporting activities. Yes, there could be infections around the activity, but certainly in terms of player-to-player transmission, things like that, during the sport itself. 
So I think we should be looking at that data and trying to use that to say, listen, this is low risk. But the benefits you would get by opening up something like that, I think it would be very beneficial to everybody. Yes, and I think that's opening up some businesses as well, Jerry. You know? Yeah, like uh, there is, you, you know, you saw it the last seven to 10 days with the weather we've had and you can see yeah. much more activity outdoors and people, you know, shaking off the uh, the shackles of, of yeah. the winter, early springtime and as well looking ahead to longer days as well, Paul. It will be very difficult, you know, to put a cap on that. Yeah, I think I think the weather's there. I think the weather will actually be a pretty good barometer of yeah. where we're where we're at, both in terms of the level of the virus and in terms of our restrictions. And I think we're certainly moving towards, and especially you know, we we some things had not only in terms of seasonality. We're going to have significant numbers, okay, who've previously been infected. We're going to have you know vaccination being rolled out, and obviously, again, it emphasised we want those vulnerable groups to be vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, and then, OK, you're still dealing with numbers, but at least you're not looking at the burden and, the, you know, the normal sort of social and personal costs on people in terms of getting very ill, hospitalised. So I think, and, but I think people are looking now for, like we've been in this over a year now, mm. they're looking for some hope and they're looking for some light at the end of the tunnel. I think we, we need to begin to see that when we talk about it, when we're looking forward to hearing what's going to happen in early April. Indeed, Paul. Thank you again, as always, for joining us. Your valued words uh, words are much appreciated, Paul. Thanks indeed. Very welcome, Jerry. Anytime. Take care of yourself. That's Professor Paul Moyna there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University. He's a fantastic guy. He really is, and we appreciate him joining us each week on the show. I put the question to you, top of the show. How often do you change your bed sheets and pillowcases? Wow. What a response. I'm going to get to some of them now. I'll read this before I head to the break. Jerry, I have a top and bottom sheet. They're washed every Saturday. My duvet cover is washed every second week. My children change their bed covers every week. And if there's tan on the job, it could be twice a week. <laughs> Good woman, Sheila. I love that one. And more besides. You're telling me how often you do, and I'm going to tell them what you're saying in a couple of moments. Lovely to hear from you, our man Tommy in Italy. We spoke to him on the show recently. He got a snood. I'm delighted. He's thrilled with it. And, you know, he got it on his 47th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, Tommy, to yourself and Sheila. Have a little celebration for that milestone in your life. Delighted you got the wee gift from us. Sinead in Dulique changes her bed clothes every single week. We have an odd boy listener who says, Jerry, I like to do it fortnightly. Once a week, says D in Navin. And Nett in Dulique says once a week, but more frequently, Jerry, in the summertime of the year. Let me read this one for you here. Oh, the bombing into me as I speak here. Hi Jerry. once a week and I love getting into bed that night says Bernadette and Colin oh Bernadette yes clean sheets you can't be that first night in between the covers I'll see what I can do for you Bernadette leave that other little request with me Kitty says she changes them every Thursday Pat here I change them every month now Pat a month you're the longest so far because it takes me about two hours to do it but uh, when the woman's on the scene, it happens more frequently, says Pat. Good on you. Once a month. Now, that's the longest stretch. Anyone leave the bed clothes longer than a month to change? Can you top that one there? 
Uh, Eamon says, on the subject of sheets and pillowcases, it depends if I'm not having a good sleep. I'll change them there and then, but it's usually once a week. Good on you, Eamon. I change my bed sheets and pillowcases every four weeks, says John in Drogheda. Every single week, Jerry. Love the fresh sheets. Straight off the line. It's absolute bliss. Oh, I can feel that as you describe it to me. Mary says once a week. She's in Drogheda today. Hello, Mary. Jerry changed the bed every week, says Geraldine in Dunlear. Every Monday, says another listener, without fail. Why did I ask you the question? Why am I intrigued? I'll tell you after we hear from Niall Horn. Mm. Niall Horn. This town on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Now... Why, why do I pose the question to you? How often do you change your bed sheets and pillowcases? The reason is this. <clears throat> if you didn't wash your bedding for a year, it would be more than a kilo heavier just because of the dead skin on the sheets in your bed. What about that, folks? And it gets worse. The microscopic dust mites thrive on these skin cells, particularly in pillows, because they love that human environment. They really do love it. So there you are. There's lots of little nasties creep in there if you don't change them that often. But look at that. A kilo of dead skin in your bed. Oh, is your skin not creeping? Now mine is if you didn't change them for a year. John, 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 listen to me. Listen to us here now, son. Listen to us, John. You've got to do something here. John's been in touch to say, Jerry, I change my bed sheets once Maybe twice a year. John. John, there's a kilo with you. There's a kilo of that stuff with you, for sure. Half a kilo if you change it twice a year, but a kilo of it's just once a year. Oh, John, come on. Come on. You're, you're only cutting us there, are you, John? You're, 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 you're taking the you-know-what. Are you? Once, twice a year. <laughs> what do you make of that, folks? Oh, my, oh, my. Rosemary, hello. She's in the dock this afternoon. Every Friday, says Rosemary. Wouldn't miss it. Sheila says weekly, for sure, Jerry. You'd just have to. Twice a year, John. <laughs> well, you know, you know, whatever rocks your clock. <clears throat> anyway, anyone can beat, can you beat that? Anyone not change their bedclothes in a year? Or are you on the same wavelength as John? Maybe twice a year, every six monthly of that. Come on, let me know. Having a bit of fun on late lunch this afternoon. A pound or a kilo of stale skill. Stale skin even. And the uh, dust mites. Oh my word, my word, my word. Anyway, keep your messages coming to me about how often you change your bed sheets and pillowcases. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. Coming up after news and weather at two. It's a royal watcher, Mary Kenny. John was on to me there before uh, news and weather to say that he changed the bed sheets once, maybe twice a year. Oh, you've got some reaction, John, to that. A number of uh, listeners have been on to say, John is quite obviously a bachelor, Jerry. (laughs) Yes, the cat's among the pigeons now. John, are you a bachelor? Are you a bachelor? Does that go along with the territory of not changing your sheets only once or twice a year? Jerry, for God's sake, I'm eating my lunch, please. That's gross about the old skin in the bed. Sorry, but it's one of those things, you know, you just have to talk about. Once every five five years. 
<laughs> Must go with the name John. Says another John by WhatsApp. Sure, Jerry, there's only myself in the bed. I can smell you from here, John, I think. I think I can. Weekly, please, Jerry, says Antoinette. You'd stink otherwise. Yes, how often do you change your bed sheets and pillows? Let me know. 086 658 Now, my next guest. I just love talking to her. She's a journalist, broadcaster, playwright, founder of the Women's Liberation Movement, a voice for women for decades. We should have had her on yesterday for International Women's Day. I must put her in the book for next year. And, of course, she's a keen royal watcher, and I read her religiously in The Independent here at home in Ireland. Mary Kenny, good afternoon. Hi, Jerry. Good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining me. I've been following you on Twitter as well because I really was keen to see what you'd say. You watched Meghan and Harry talk to Oprah and let me tell our listeners, you described it as dull, Mary. Why? Well, I thought the first... Um 40 minutes certainly went pretty slowly, Jerry. You know, I mean, I thought they could have had a, a better pace. Probably we'd heard so much in advance of what Megan was going to say as well that that kind of made it seem a bit kind of pianissimo somehow. And, and also there's a lot of advert breaks. Um, now these advert breaks are, of course, bringing in huge revenue. Uh, to Oprah's, Oprah's business and also, of course, to those who, who are uh, retransmitting it. I mean, here in the UK, they were charging £273,000 for a 30-second advert wow. rate during that show. So I suppose, I mean, I was just rather fascinated by which businesses could afford to pay mm. that kind of money to advertise. So I, I was looking at it slightly with a commercial eye. I mean, I think when Harry came on in the second half, um, it, it kind of was a bit livelier in a way. Um, I mean, Megan came over as a perfectly nice young woman, but she, the, here feelings are divided, of course, about um, the reception. And mainly, I'm told by the posters, they're rather divided along generational lines. Yes. Younger people tend to be pro-Megan. Older people tend to be more critical and think that um, she's trying to have it both ways. She wanted to be a royal princess, but she didn't want, you know, the rather boring um, and restrictive bits, bits that go with it. Uh, so they're more critical. Mm, and that is a fact. I've been uh, gauging the reaction myself, and I think that is fair comment. It is along generational lines. But look, Mary, let's get cut to the chase here with this. She signed up for the club. I, I've said this on the show in recent days. Uh, the rules and regulations are there. You know what's happened. You saw the history with Diana. Uh, now, mind you, uh, William's wife, uh, Kate, has uh, is, an, is an outsider, so to speak, and has, has settled in very well indeed. But Diana didn't, and here she comes now. Did she not honestly walk in there with eyes wide shut? It, it, that really surprised me, Jerry, because... Megan seems to be a very organized person. She's well-educated. Uh, her father sent to her to a very good Catholic school, actually, in California, um, private school. And uh, she researches things. And she said she'd never researched anything about Harry's family. She had to look up on Google um, the words of the British National Anthem. Now, that seems a little bit kind of under-researched in a way. I mean, it's very surprising for such a together young woman um, not to have done that. But I suppose on the other side, you know, 
these royal houses, they are they are a thousand years old. They are stuffy in their way. They are mm. restrictive. And when I think of somebody like Princess Grace, for example, whom I interviewed at length, uh, uh, of Monaco, and she really, although she was too sort of disciplined to make a big issue of, she really felt restrained also um, yeah. by e- even the protocols in Monaco and not being able to to, to sort of practice her, her profession. So I think for a woman who's been independent before, it is a huge it it, it is a huge adjustment. Let's be fair about that. Mm. Bullying, no way tolerated in any circumstances. Racism absolute no-no, and the the girl was quite upset talking about those two particular issues. But can I ask you this, Mary? They they said to get away from it, they left Britain, you know, the the racism and that, and they go to the United States. Now, come on. Come on, Mary. The United States and racism. Well, yes, especially as, you know, the the George Floyd trial is just starting. Um, And... I mean, there are some letters in the Times of London, very written in a very formal and dignified way today, saying, um, you know, from women, for example, saying, look, uh, my partner is, I'm white, my partner is black, and when I was pregnant, we kept, we asked each other all the time, what colour will the baby be? You know, so some, you'd want to know a little bit more about um, the context in which this alleged um, remark took place. Yeah. And um, the fact that both Harry and Meghan said it happened, although they had different versions of how it happened, what colour would the baby's skin be? I mean, it's an, it's, it's an offensive remark, but we don't know anything about the context. And also, it's a little bit dodgy to make this allegation and then to refuse to say who said it because of course obviously you know it's like when you're in school and somebody is naughty and you know the 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 bold person has to sort of own up to what they've done so it's kind of fallen on everyone there's a sort of witch hunt on now to find out who said it you know was it charles he then went on to be very critical about his father was it charles who said it was was it the so-called wicked stepmother camilla um you know who actually uttered this Mm. so in a way it's made it more complicated not nailing down the culprit. Yes, and in fact, Oprah had to come out yesterday and say it certainly wasn't the Queen of Prince Philip, and that was like uh, moving them out of the equation, but casting aspersions on others, as you say. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, There's an apology to be published on the front page of the mail to Meghan. We know that in full. Uh, Their privacy was uh, intruded on big time. They went to America to uh, get privacy, and yet... They talk to the highest paid, highest profile interviewer perhaps in the world for over three hours, which is edited down to an hour and a half. That doesn't give me a sense of wanting to move out of the public eye, Mary. Well, I suppose, um, you know, they want to tell their story. I mean, Megan emphasizes, she said this towards the end, everybody has, you know, life is about telling stories and so on. So she wanted to say that. And I suppose the other hard facts, Jerry, are that she's in America now and they have to build a brand because business in America is all about building your brand. Um, and the Harry and Meghan brand, and of course, this is, you know, they're being paid by Netflix and Spotify. And you have to have the brand to sell. So 
it, you, you can't build a brand and stay private. You really do have to be visible out there. So there is definitely a contradiction there. But I suppose what they mean is they don't have the restrictions imposed by the sort of courtiers of the palace which are uh, sort of more uh, sort of fuddy-duddy restrictions, uh, obviously, than, uh, you know, what they can and can't do. And she did make quite extraordinary um, claims, you know, that her passport was taken away uh, and her, her, her driving license. Now, so we don't know what the details of that was because um, and that she wasn't allowed to go out to have lunch with friends. That does seem pretty futile, actually, if it's true. So, I mean, these things have to be clarified, and people are waiting for the palace to come back with a clarification or an explanation. Now, Alistair Campbell, who was, of course, Tony Blair's spin doctor and supposed to be very uh, clever at all this, um, he has said he thinks that the royal family should say nothing for a while, just let it let it lie and, um, you know, go on about their daily business and show that, you know, do, you know, especially, uh, I suppose the Queen was quite clever, really, yesterday uh, in making a, you know, uh, appearing with the Commonwealth, you know, and emphasizing the Commonwealth. And of course, the Commonwealth is about 70 or 75 percent people of color. So, I mean, that's, you know, that that is an interesting way yes. of showing rather than telling, as Alistair Campbell put it. Mm. Uh, hi, Jerry. Mary Kenny is a legend. <laughs> Say hello to her from Angela and Anne Singleton from Deal in Kent. Oh, there you are. We're getting a message here from Deal in Kent. You have a big fan club there. There you are, Mary. I'm not surprised so many people love you. You are the doyen. But look at coming back to the royal family. Indeed, they'll take time to consider this. Is it is the is the Windsor brand damaged? Well, I mean, this is, I think, uh, there are feelings coming, you know, the, the, you get this expression now from younger people who are saying, look, this is just uh, so outdated. Uh, who says that we have to have this kind of monarchy and so on? Uh, and, and who says we have to have a monarchy at all? It doesn't make sense um, in, a, in a democratic age. So the, it is prompting more, if you like, broadly Republican, if you like, uh, questions like that. And of course, monarchists are worried about that. Uh, but there, again, there are sort of contradictions with the public, Jerry, because people will say, oh, monarchy is just stupid. Who cares about it? And yet they're glued to something like the crown. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, um, there are contradictions what people say and what people do, because although it's not a very rational form of governance, nevertheless, it has a certain kind of historical and dynastic appeal and the, and the ceremony and the rituals and the appeal to tradition and continuity. Um, and of course, the other, I suppose, supposedly strong card is that they're not supposed to be political. So to have a head of state who isn't a politician, uh, that's been traditionally regarded as 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 a good card. And I must say, I'm very interested in the European uh, monarchies. And some of them are really very successful and very popular. Um, the Netherlands, the, the Scandies do very, very well. And I'm very interested in, in, in the Belgian uh, monarchy because Belgium is a divided country. And, and, and the king of the Belgians and Queen Mathilde, uh, who has a PhD, um, they're sort of 
holding it together in some way. So I think there are very interesting areas of 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 uh, of study and of research in in these fields, but it's all developing all the time. And I think that there is definitely a blowback from younger generations who are going to question the constitutional position of what they consider to be an outdated institution. You mentioned uh, The Crown. I'm a big fan myself and uh, marvellous viewing it is on Netflix. But really, in a way, I'm sure that it is based loosely around, you know, research and what's known from people talking who've been in or around the royal family for decades, historical matters as well. But that gives you a feel, doesn't it, Mary, when you watch that for, you know, how, you know, those protocols you mentioned is there a thousand years or more goes back, the history of it, the way they are particularly corralled by history into what they are today. Yes, I suppose so. And I mean, I think it, The Crown is a beautiful professional production. But Hugo Vickers, who is um, a royal biographer and a proper real historian, he has counted more than 500 errors of fact in the crown. I think there is a a problem there about, uh, I mean, intelligent folk like yourself (laughs) see that it is a drama and that it's a well-done drama and that it vaguely represents. But there are, would be other people, and I think probably especially, um, you know, across the Atlantic Ocean in North America, who would take it much more literally and would think, that it's exactly true, whereas in fact it's a dramatic representation, really, of yes. the family. Yes, there are threads in it, of course, and I'm just saying it gives you a feel, perhaps, for some of the constrictions on that as well. But it is a brilliantly produ- produced drama, and of course it's picked up numerous awards recently uh, at the uh, awards ceremonies. Mary, you're great. I, I, I'm delighted that you, you've been with us today because you are a real observer of this particular facet of life. But look, much more besides. Keep on writing those wonderful columns for the newspapers here and doing what you're doing. You're treasured. Thank you so much, Jerry. God bless. God bless you. Take care of yourself. That's the wonderful Mary Kenny there, journalist, broadcaster, and more besides with her take. Uh, and she's living in the UK quite a number of years. She follows the royal family on that interview. If you have a view on it, please do get in touch with me. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Did you watch it last evening? Look, I have to be honest with you. I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I I've. I sort of got a resume of it or saw bits and pieces of it. What about Piers Morgan this morning? He stormed off the set of Good Morning Britain. Did you hear this? He got up and just walked out. He was debating with one of his colleagues uh, on the show and it got really heated. I've never seen him. He walked out, gone. Piers, I'm not, I'm not having any of this. Whoosh. Good one, isn't it? It just shows you how these things get heated. If you have a view on the Royal uh, Reveal, 086-1800-658, WhatsApp or text me, or you can call in now. You know the number, 1850-715-958. Just reminding you, on Saturday, this coming Saturday, we've live commentary on four Premier League matches on the LMFM app or by clicking on the Listen tab on lmfm.ie. The early game is Leeds and Chelsea. Ah, there's a clash. When they were top of the pops in the early 70s, they were some games between Leeds who wouldn't give an inch. Oh, my God. 
and Chelsea. Chopper Harris with Chelsea. Ho ho, Norman bites your legs. Hunter with Leeds United. I remember the days well and the sticker albums when we collected the stickers from down the shop or a little bit of chewing gum in the packet of football stickers and you were trying to complete the album. Leeds and Chelsea and Leeds back in the big time. Yes, great game on uh, Saturday. Everton, Burnley and Fulham take on league leaders Manchester City. All those games. Remember, you can get closer to the action with Premier League Live with Now TV. Stream all the action from Sky Sports on the Now TV Sky Sports Pass. Memories, memories. And you're joking me. Anne changes her sheets every 10 years. And says to me, you're too fussy, Jerry." And I think maybe you just picked me up wrong there. Perhaps that's when you buy a new set. And what I'm talking about is how often do you wash your sheets? Change them. You know, how long, change the bed. You know that saying. How often do you wash them and your pillowcases? And surely, no, never. Ten years. Come on. No, 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 no. Anyway, Anne, uh, come back to me, will you? Uh, wife, my wife changes them every Sunday. Even if I'm in bed, says Matty. <laughs> Good thing, yeah. Well done, Matty. Two weeks and I shower every day, says Kathleen. Good luck with the walks, Jerry. You're going great guns. Thanks indeed, Kathleen. Yeah, and I'm showering every day with the walks now. I am, yeah. It's one of those aspects of uh, doing the 40 days and nights for a Slav. In any, if any other person uh, would be treated like Megan was, the whole world would be supportive. The royal family, no, she's bad. All, no bullying and racism or anything applies to them. We're all equal, but they're equaler, says a listener to us this afternoon. Jerry, you forgot to mention, at the beginning of COVID, we were advised to watch our bed linen and towels at 60 degrees to kill any infection. That's a good point, Cloda. And I forgot about it. I really did, Cloda, yeah. And good you mention it there. Yeah, and John is back. John is back. Yes, yes, you're all right. You're all right, yeah. You're correct. You're very clever, perceptive people out there. John says, I am a bachelor, Jerry, and happy to be a bachelor. Oh, we'll have to jig it, dig out Joe Dolan for you one afternoon and play it for you, John. Um, Jerry, John, another John in Kells is on to say, uh, just want to let you know that there's hedge cutting going on in Kells. Well, there shouldn't be. Only in emergency situations where there's a danger on roads. If it's going on willy-nilly, you need to report it. You really do. It's illegal. It's against the law. The birds are nesting at this time. We've spoken about it only last week on Late Lunch. You need special permission if it's to do with safety. So if it is safety, John, they're fine. If it's just willy-nilly, it's wrong. And I advise you to pick up the phone and uh, make a call. That's what you should do. This is what you should do when you see something that's not right. Late lunch, LMFM radio, still to come on the show. A motoring man, Tony Conlon, is with us soon, and more besides. But on the way, on late lunch today, it's Mad Yourself, and Papa Don't Preach. Do I preach? Do I preach on this show? Maybe I do. Must look for the collar. Little white thing here, just under me chin. Ah, she'll never know. Could suit me down to the ground, couldn't it? Anyway, I am a papa, and I do preach a little. And Madge is going to sing about it now. It's Madonna herself with a classic on your late lunch. Jerry, it's only a few days past the hedge-cutting deadline. I do realise that. Don't think too much harm done at this point. If it was later on, then that's different. We're in enough of a police state at the moment without adding to it. Well, look, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree with you. Because a date is there for a purpose. And there are derogations that people can apply for to cut hedges 
if there's a very special reason or a danger. And I think that allows for cutting after the cut-off date. But when do you put that date, for example? So if it's the 1st of March, is it OK to cut it on the 9th of March, nine days later? What about the 10th of March, the 11th, the 14th? Where do you draw the line? There has to be a deadline, a cut-off point. That's all I'm saying. There really has. And, you know, uh, reason should always prevail. But, honestly, unless there's a special reason or an urgent reason, then it shouldn't happen. But I thank you for your comment and I hear what you're saying and you have a view and you're perfectly entitled to it. Thank you for getting in touch with us. Rosaline in Castle Bellingham changes her bedsheets every Friday. And she lies with a John. But she wouldn't like to settle down to sleep with that John. Oh, Rosaline, good on you. Phyllis changes her bedsheets every single week and wouldn't miss it. Thank you, Phyllis, indeed. Oh, it's interesting to see. But most people change their bedsheets, change them, wash them weekly. That's what I'll say. That's my take on it. You heard what I was saying, top of the show, a kilogram of dead skin in your bed if you don't change it for a year and the mites are in there eating at it and... There's a good old whiff of pong as well, I'm sure, from the, the bed coming your way every time you go to rest. Keep your messages coming to me. 086-1800-658 about the bed sheets and the changing of them, etc. We move on on late lunch with one of our valued regulars. He knows everything about those machines on four wheels. He is our motoring man, Tony Conlon. Hello again, Tony. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining me on the show again uh, today, Tony. Now, let's, uh, we're going to concentrate on a few marks today and you have uh, mm. experienced the Ford Puma. Tony, let's start with the Puma because I remember the Puma in its original version, which you do too, Tony, yeah, a yeah. completely different car today. Absolutely. When we heard it was going to be reintroduced, the name reintroduced, I mean, you, you, you think back to the time of the little two-door Cooper. But indeed, we were wrong because the Puma name now has been given to a SUV crossover based on the platform of a Ford Fiesta. Indeed, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever because this is a very surprising car. It's been very late coming to the party. The little SUV parties, well, I say little, but the small SUV party has been on running for a while now. And clear to God, here comes Ford in the door and to begin to make a mark straight away. The reason is, Jerry, that it's naturally is taller, wider and longer than the Fiesta but it's also <coughs> a pretty looking car it's got these bug eyed eyes like headlamps on top of the wings it has a remarkable boost of 456 litres it has a thing called a mega box you could bring home your set of golf clubs in if you took the driver over and I say it takes the driver out because I've tried that <laughs> it, won't, it won't work with the driver but it will work every other way it offers 80 litres capacity uh, you could bring home plants or whatever it is. Beautiful driving position. Nice little hybrid, uh, mild hybrid engine, one litre engine. Economical, if you don't ask too much off the enthusiastic engine. There's no doubt you get about 5.5. You can get, in other words, 15 miles per gallon if you take it with a little bit of tender loving care. And Tony, for, from Ford's point of view, they must be thrilled because uh, the the form in the crossovers, without being uh, critical or anything, was a little bit spotty. But this really now has set them fair, made the mark. Ah, yeah, like the Kuga has been a very good car. Yeah, good car. Now the large, the large one hasn't been the greatest success. Mm. Before, uh, but the the Puma most certainly is a very interesting car. A couple of trim levels. That's top range ST line. X it comes very comprehensively equipped with an eight-inch touchscreen, generation three sync, and eighteen-inch alloys. Uh, 
my car had a little bit more extras, about two, three thousand eight hundred worth. And one of these things included a driver assistance package, which includes radar and camera fusion pre-collision assist. But that sounds like a mouthful, a mouthful, I should rather say. But you know, Jerry, if insurance companies took this on board, they could lo- they could lower premiums and there'd be lesser and lesser accidents on the road if you have all this technology. Yeah. Fair use to Ford for offering it. LD headlights are something I would definitely go for is 900 euro. I don't need a hands-free tailgate. Uh, 700 euro, if you have hands, you're able to pull it down or presume and close it. But uh, that's where it comes from. It's a nice package, some nice colours in it, yeah. So you you give this car the thumbs up. Tony Condon loves the Ford Puma. Check it out. It's a beautiful car. I was just looking at the pictures of it uh, there earlier this morning. It is an eye catcher. Now let's move to Suzuki and the Vitara. It's been around for a while. And look, at again, I say it wouldn't be regarded as the coolest crossover, would it? No, it's, it's certainly not the coolest. But the interesting thing about it is that... Uh, Ah, like it's bulletproof. Really speaking, the, the name for itself is to put right two friends with one a passenger one, the other a commercial one, and they have them. These are 16 year old XLSs. Now, there's a big difference in XLSs and the XL uh, or the SZT that I've been driving, but it's the same name. They, they, they really have been bulletproof and reliable down the years, and that's, that's something very, very important. What I liked about this car is it's for €25,745, it comes packed to the gills with equipment, and that includes safety equipment. Now, there is a few warts. There's no doubt about it. I found a few warts. Like the, the plastics didn't like live up to the top drawer. Uh, they're, they're, they're more hard and soft. But when you think of the value, I adopted the surroundings very, very easily. 1.5, uh, 1.4 booster jet petrol engine with 48-volt battery Light hybrid system, it lowers uh, CO2s by, by 20%. Again, you get about 49 miles per gallon, a little bit of tender love and care attached to it. Uh, there's only one hiccup I really had with it. And mind you, I uh, can have this with any car, that I'm not a favour of this thing of the emergency flat tyre repair kit over a spare wheel, even an emergency wheel. And not for Irish conditions, and mm. that's as simple as that, because uh, I'd rather have a spare wheel all day long, Jerry. Yeah, and you've been a, a real champion of that, I know, over the years. And you and I think you have a very good point there. You really do, Tony. But overall, the Suzuki Vitara, it'll uh, meet the needs of many a driver. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not unlike, no, I don't base it on the XLS, which was a large, long wheel based version. It's a short, it's, it's, it's nicely finished, it's nicely built, a little, as I said, a little work here and there, maybe in the, on the standard of, of the plastics and that. But when you look at the mechanics, and there is a, an all grip system offered on a 2 or 4 before, but it's not on the same league as the XL. You're not going to go, Climbing the McGillicuddy Reeks way, you know, but it will yeah. get you over damp field. There's no doubt all about that. <laughs> That's very important. Very important. Now, Tony, the Nissan, the Nissan Qashqai, well, what do you say about it? It was the unassailable class leader at one stage in the SUV market. Uh, the new one. You, have you driven this yet, or, or? No, 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 I haven't okay. driven it, Jerry. I right. haven't driven the car. The but other two I, you I, have, yeah. Go on. I have all the information on it, basically, like... I suppose if I was the head of Nissan, I'd be kind of going to sleep with one eye open, if you know what I mean, because they're after making a dramatic, they're after reinventing the crossover segment that the Korea had in 2007. What a huge success the cash guy has been. Look, the, the, now they've done to their SUV, the cash guy, what Honda and Toyota did to theirs, they've given the boot to the diesel engine. 
That's basically it. They've introduced the 1.3, uh, 1.3 light, light hybrid and uh, an e-power version. And like this is the way they go looking towards things by 2024 when things are going to be more electrified. And mind you, Jerry, they're all going this direction, I have to say. Look, it's it's following in the footsteps where this claim that there's 50,000 Irish motors out there driving this in cash price mm. and 3 million units of the car were sold in Europe. So the new one has a lot to live up for, up to. Now, the whole thing about it is it will live up to it if it does the economy. If it does what it says in the tin, they're away with a pack. It will be here in the summer. They're taking orders now for, despite the fact they don't have a, a, a price for it, they're taking orders. It looks undoubtedly like a cash guy, although everything is new. The boot is bigger. There's more rear leg room in it. And there's the rear doors, just very important for Maz and Daz alike. The rear doors now walk 90 degrees, so you want to stoop in there to a toddler or a child in the baby seat, it's much more easier. So they did put the thinking cap on, and let's hope it takes up where the other one left off. Uh, it is a standard bearer, and it has a huge loyal following, and I'm sure people will just upgrade and transfer into it that have driven cash cars, the various models, over the years. But I hear what you're saying there as well. The competition is uh, close on the heels, Tony. And the competition is out there, like, there's no doubt at all about it, uh, Jerry. Like, they may, may have created this, and they're trying to stay ahead of the posse, which is very, very difficult. But when it comes to electrification, they, they have the edge here because the Nissan Leaf is a tread bearer as such there, and all the technology that has the uh, the one-pedal driving experience called the e-pedal drivers can start, accelerate, and decelerate using only the accelerator pedal. Like, they have the technology there, and I've no doubt they're going to go in the right direction. And the car, 1.3-litre petrol engine, is offered with two outputs, 138 and 156 horsepower. Six-speed manual gearboxes that have been rejigged and, and an automatic version. So, like... It's it's an interesting vehicle. There's yeah. not at all family oriented. See the thing what that car done for us initially was it got your bum in, up off the road. You're yeah. up looking out the windscreen. You could see the green fields of Ireland over the hedgerows. Yeah. And people loved that. And at mm. the same time, it handled it. And it wasn't like a rugged four before that, you know, rocked it was like going to I won't say what but uh, it was comfortable too and I think it's going to do okay. Well, I, I have to tell you that uh, I've had a first taste of being that up off the ground in my lifetime in my new Renault Captur and it's a, it, it's different, Tony, isn't it? Like when you when you sit at that extra little bit of height, there's something, uh, a little more confidence. I don't know what the word is, you know, that I'm looking uh, for. It's, it's probably a little, something called a commanding driving yes. uh, experience or whatever else. But yes, you're looking, you're looking over the bonnet, you're looking down there. It is, it is lovely and look, when you look at the sales of SUVs, the way they're going, and now they're represented by every manufacturer out there after this and kicking off as such. Like So, look, it's, 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 it's everything turns and goes around and comes around, but uh, at the moment, the SUV has the edge on the saloon car. There's mm. no doubt about that. It has indeed. Tell me this as an aside. What a Peugeot at with the lo- logo. The lion, the famous lion, Tony. What's happening? Yeah, well, they changed the logo after years and years and years to put this thing in a kind of in a shield, mind you. It looks like a little bit like a very expensive German mark, if you know what I mean. Uh, they'll be very sport-orientated, called Porsche. But, uh, uh, look, it is the line is in there anyway, and they're building on success because they're really doing good insofar as even the woman car, the Airwards, they've got the 208 in there. Mm. And the 2008, as have Kia, got the Sorento, and Kia got the E-Nero in the... In the in the what they call it, uh, JD Power Electric car experience. So there's a lot of things going on there with Peugeot and others. 
they changed their logo, they changed their identity. Yeah. And they're, mind you, they're entitled to do that. The lion goes from strength to strength. Wasn't that the famous strap line for many years? Just before we finish, two things. Stats from SIMI you want to tell us about. That's the Society of Irish and Motoring. Yeah, well, look, look. Last year, we were looking at around the 20% mark, things were down. And we weren't, remember, you, you and I, we weren't really crying over the radio on this because considering the year that was in yep. it, I think it was too bad. Uh, February, we're down, we're actually up 5.3%. The overall for the year to date is 11% down uh, in, the whole, in the whole of Ireland. That's down from, uh, what are we down, same period last year. We're actually... Doing much better, if you yes, know what I mean. We're yes. down 11%, which is about 10% better off. Than last here's, year. Here's the interesting yeah. one, Jerry. that the likes of Cavan is down only 4.73%. Mm. And now I can't find it. And uh, Yes, here we go. Loud, unfortunately, Loud is down 11.78%. For me, there's only down 3.1%. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting, but the general average across the country is just having a flash look at is that uh, Dublin would probably be the highest down 13.5%. Things are improving considering people are buying virtual, yes. uh, this sort of stuff now going on. Yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting. It is interesting, Tony, that those figures and uh, hopefully now with uh, the loosening of restrictions for the second plate of the year as well, that will all help. But uh, it's good, it's good, it's down, but it's not down as much as we, as we might have expected. Last thing, um, yeah. I was renewing my uh, insurance lately and I was just checking the mileage and I couldn't believe, like last year, sure, everybody's mileage has just gone uh, through the floor. It's so small yeah. in most instances. Yeah. And we heard of the ruling uh, recently, you know, about the lesser payments, uh, yeah. insurance payments to be paid out. Tony, will we see the low mileage and the lower payments reflected in premiums? I honestly God, don't know. Mm. Uh, like, how long is a piece of string? If, if there's anything to bring anyone out there in an insurance company with a little bit of decency at all, of course we should. But, you know, like they're always going to find the for some sort of an increase and the heavy claims or whatever else is going up. But, like, it's... The, the technology is there. What insurance companies just go back to have to do is grasp that net, grasp it, and, and welcome what insurance what car companies are doing. And the government grab it too and lower the VRT or the VAT on what technology that saves lives. And if insurance companies take this on too... And take it underneath their arm. And in other words, applaud someone. Uh, give them some allowance for buying that bit of technology in the car. That's what will help too. Yes, of course they should give some money back. Mm. Oh Lord, we're not doing driving. Sorry. Tony, well said. And thank you indeed. Your opinion is always valued here. Thank you indeed, Tony. Talk to you next month. God bless you, Jerry. Take Bye. care of yourself. That's Tony Conlon, our motoring man, on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon. We were speaking to Mary Kenny about the uh, Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah a little while ago on the show. And I have a listener on to me here saying, I think it's Jean, to say, Jerry, it's the new generation. They're not going to take any of that nonsense in this day and age, and rightly so. Thank you indeed, Jean, for your message there. Yes, talking about, you know, racism or invasion of privacy, bullying, things like that. I agree with you entirely. There's no doubt. Question there about a cash guy for uh, Tony. I'll hold it over, I promise you. It just popped in as we were saying goodbye to him on the show, but I'll keep it over uh, for you. To, I'll put it aside for next month. That's me old featherhead uh, remembers it will. I'll stick it somewhere as a reminder, I promise you. Pat's back on to me. He was on a while ago saying, Pat here, 
I change them every month because it takes me about two hours to do so. And Pat says, Jerry, I'm back onto you here. I've just discovered I have a new set of bed sheets in the house. <laughs> Good on you, Pat. And I'm going to change them now. There you are. You see that? We've just prompted Pat into having lovely clean sheets to snuggle under this evening. Yes, the reason I'm talking about it, in case you're just joining us, and if you're, if you're just with us on Late Lunch this last while, welcome to the show. And if you're listening on your radio or your smart speaker or the app, it's great to have you with us every afternoon here on Late Lunch. And I say it again. The app is fantastic. The LMFM app. Download it. Put it on your smartphone and you can bring us with you wherever you go. I know a lot of people recently have been saying to me they've been out walking and listening into late lunch as they uh, toddle along doing their walk. If you're walking today, just send me a message if you can that you're out walking and listening to us. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me at any stage. And the other thing I want to tell you, don't forget we have a direct email address to myself or Louise. It's lunch at lmfm.ie. That's lunch at lmfm.ie. If you have a topic, if you want to talk about something, if you have a comment to make, a guest to suggest, we love to hear from you. Late lunch at lmfm.ie. You can always get directly to us. Yes, the reason I'm talking about the sheets and the bedclothes is that it's just emerged. If you don't change your bed sheets and pillows regularly, now this is regular, quite regular, that within a year, say you left them for a year, nobody would leave them for a year, I don't believe that at all, there'd be a kilo of dead skin in the bed and the dust mites would arrive. Yes, little tiny spiders and they'd be nibbling away on <laughs> on the dead skin. Can you just think of it? You have a zoo in your bed. Yes, you'll have a zoo in your bed with all these creatures. Oh God, I am. I feel that shiver going up and down my spine now even as I mention it. Anyway, it is important to change them and I do. I will say again, I love when the covers are changed. There's one thing, I don't do it. Miriam does it. She does it. She looks after that department in our uh, business. And uh, she changes them. And it's lovely when they're changed. It's really fresh feeling when I'm sure as the weather warms up, it'd be more important to change them even more frequently. Thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us on the show. We've got loads. I've just given you a selection there of the comments. They've been bombing in on WhatsApp and text as well. We do appreciate your involvement on the show with us every day. Still to come on Late Lunch this afternoon, Kylie Minogue. Her story continues. And 40 days and nights for Slav. We have big news, but taking us towards news and weather at three. It's Post Malone and Circles. Hi, Jerry. In relation to car insurance, I was shopping around for my insurance lately and told a major company I do between 20 and 25,000 kilometres per year. I really realise this is probably above average. But the person uh, giving me the quote tried to tell me the average was between 10 and 12,000 kilometres. I said, you must mean miles. And she said, no, kilometres. I find that hard to believe. And they were one of the largest companies offering insurance in Ireland, says Valerie. Well, I renewed mine lately. I stayed with the company I've been with for, for a number of years because, to be honest with you, uh, everyone else was above the quote. I think I got 440 for comprehensive, full comprehensive on the car this year. Um, and I paid it. I just paid it because I had a few other options and they were too high altogether. My mileage last year was 5,000 kilometres. It was the year that was in it. It would never be that low, to be honest with you. But I was just saying, Valerie, to Tony, the the kilometer, um, the, the kilometers that people are doing in the year are certainly way down. But I would think ten to twelve thousand kilometers is 
very average. On the low side, I agree with you there. There's no doubt about that, that's for sure. But do shop around. I say it again, when you are looking for insurance, it's very important to do it and there are many options out there. And you can save money on all the utilities, all your insurances and that as well. It's good to shop around and see what's in the market. Mary's been on to me to say, uh, Jerry, don't forget to play an Irish artist uh, for your Artist of the Week sometime. I will, Mary, I will play an Irish artist. Tin Lizzy are on the way for sure. That's and they are more Irish. Well, could you get more Irish than Tin Lizzy? You too. Yes, they'll they'll all be getting their outing during the year. My Artist of the Year for sure. Those two spring to mind immediately. Uh, and uh, I'll be bringing them your way in due course. But this week, it's Miss Minogue. Yes, it's Kylie Minogue, my Artist of the Week. And we move into the 90s. And Kylie's third album called The Rhythm of Life was regarded as a big step forward, even though it wasn't as big commercially as her first two albums. It did yield two highly successful singles, Better the Devil and Step Back in Time. Album number four, Let's Go To It, was next but failed to excite. And so she cut her ties with the heretofore, with our heretofore writers, Stock, Aiken and Waterman. They were famous, weren't they? Uh, she was with them in the early part part of her career and she also parted company with a record company who she said had stifled her. She signed with Deconstruction Records in 1993 and this marked a new phase in her career with her next album Going Gold and producing the likes of Confide in Me which spent four weeks at number one. I love that Kylie song. She dabbled in movies with little success, appeared as a guest, listen to this, on The Vicar of Dibley, I remembered the episode, and drifted in and out of love with Michael Hutchins, Lenny Kravitz and Stefan Sedenoy. Uh, she was never lucky in love. Boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just had to do that. Uh, on the musical front, her next album in the late 90s was a bummer, really, but... Through touring and live performing, her association with the gay and lesbian community grew ever closer. Today, to recall Kylie in the 90s, I return to the start of the decade and this absolute belter. I'll never forget this one. When I saw it for the first time live in the Point in Dublin and up she came in the feather boa, this pint-sized little Oz, and she belted out this one. Ah, yes. My artist of the week, Miss Kylie Minogue. And better the devil, you know, I'm lepping around the place here. Love that song. Special memories for me, the first time I ever saw Kylie. Jerry says, a listener, um, why aren't we making the vaccines here in Ireland with all the pharmaceutical companies? I don't know, and I don't know whether it's that simple. I predicted months ago that the rollout would be a mess. Poor leadership by government and health service. I just don't have faith. Frustrating, says M from Dundalk. And uh, Jerry, insurance should be cheaper with the 5K restriction. So we can't go outside the 5K. And somebody else saying there, um, you know, uh, this 5K, please, please lift the 5K government. And I concur with those sentiments. Now, final break of the afternoon. And you do know I'm walking 40 days and nights for Slav. Slav Vavro, he's 16 now. He's on a cancer journey since he was 13. And I'm trying to help him and his family. I'm halfway there, but... Besides being halfway there, we have great news from St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club coming next. I was home on Saturday evening. It was around about tea time, I think. I'd made my dinner. I was just finishing up and the phone rang and it was Adrian Hillman. And he said hello to me. He said, Jerry, how's it going? I said, what's on your mind? 
And he said to me, I see you're doing this 40 days and 40 nights for Slav and we're keeping an eye on you and watching you walking and you're posting on social media and... Look, myself and Orla were just thinking and the guys in St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, could we give you a little push along or help Slav ourselves? And I said, geez, Adrian, anything you could do would be most welcome. And he says, I have an idea. Well, Adrian Hillman is on the line to tell us more. Afternoon, Adrian. Afternoon, Jerry. How's things? Good. Thank you for joining me on the show. We'll take up the story from there. Tell them what you said to me, what you were thinking. Well, I just said I'd do a little raffle. I just said to Orla and and yourself that... uh, if it sold maybe 50 tickets at a tenner a head, then St. Margaret's is throwing the extra 500 to make it up a thousand, you know, give, give the, the little, uh, the Slav Foundation a little push, you know? Yeah. And so, that was that was what you hoped. You said, look, we might get rid of about 50 out of tenner from the crew. And as you said, a thousand. And I, I did say to you, Adrian, geez, this is just fantastic. A thousand euro. What a, a wonderful gesture. But... No, it didn't end there. A few hours went no. by and you were ringing me on and off. Tell them what happened. Well, you see, coming up to probably Friday or Saturday, I said to Orla about it because we, after doing a few fundraisers right before Christmas for the Drodic House for the Homeless and the Leak Meals and Wheels. So, as an old farmer once said, you can't keep milking the same cow all the time, but there's a lot of good people in the community. So, we started at half past six and by half past it, we said we cut off at nine o'clock. We we sold nearly three thousand euros worth of tickets hmm. for Slav. My oh my, folks! You listen to this, St Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, three thousand euros. And then I have to get in the car before I come on. The fellas after donating another hundred, so I'm over three thousand now. So the minute. Adrian, I, I just don't know what to say. It's it's just fantastic. And I know on behalf of Nadia, Slav's mum, and Slav himself and the family, I can only say to yourself and Orla and all at St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, it's really, really appreciated what you're doing for this young man. Yeah, well, see, I was watching the, the Slav situation over the last year, mm. so and we were supposed to do something for the AGM, yeah. our supporters for the AGM. We're going to do something for Slav and, of course, COVID. Yep. Knocked it on the head, and then I seen him, he was in Austria, and I thought everything was hunky-dory until you posted walking through fields and frog spawn and <laughs> rain and 20 days, so I just came into my head. And they do a little thing, because only a couple of weeks ago, the boys from Margaret and a few static supporters clubs around here and in Glasgow organised, it was a sort of in-house uh, thing for a crowd called the Kerner Foundation, which brings underprivileged children to the games in, in Glasgow free of charge. You know, it's called the Modern Day Lift. They bring the Marauder from Dublin as well, and uh, there was 20,000 sterling raised on that fundraiser, so wow. you, you don't want to keep annoying people, but I was I was actually overwhelmed on, on Saturday, and I rang Millish, and this is will he donate something, and Celtic Canvases in Dublin threw me up a few bits, and then... Of course, I went up and bought a few bottles of vodka and a few bits and pieces and mm. away she went, you know, over 3,000 euros. Yeah, well, look at it. It's wonderful and I'm delighted. I, I have to say it's great. And I set out on this journey just to raise awareness again and I'm delighted that you've uh, now 
done this for the family. It wasn't your thoughts, as you said, for some time, but now it is real and that money will go directly to, uh, to Nadia and Slav to help with the, the oxygen chamber is vital to him. You know that, Adrian, and it costs yeah, 65,000 it costs to put it in. It has to be maintained on an ongoing basis. And I can tell you, I'm in touch with Nadia. He's doing well. He's doing his best, his very best at this difficult time. You can only put yourself in the young man's shoes. Three years it's been going on now and yeah. uh, every euro is a real help. And I have to say, between the GoFundMe yourselves, the Drogheda Dolls, money that's come in here, it's really starting to accumulate. The figure is building and your contribution from uh, St. Margaret's is just absolutely wonderful, Adrian. You're great people and I know through the years, besides following Celtic and it's such a passion for you all, the work that goes on, this type of work goes on all the time. I'll just take you back to when we formed the club in the, the 90s we had our first meeting in O'Neill's in the league. Our first aim was number one, was to bring people from the northeast over to see Celtic on a regular basis. And number two, was to raise money for charities, the same as the East House of Celtic was founded in 1888 by an Irish priest mm. who fed the needy in Glasgow and the poor who actually happened to be the Irish immigrants who were treated as four-class citizens. So we, we all Celtic supporters were trying to uh, keep that Momentum going, raising money for charities and that. True, as I said before, try to care the homeless, uh, Gary Kelly, Temple Street, Children's Hospital. We've done it for years and years and years. Yeah, you have. And the amount of money given to all those you mentioned and more has been invaluable, I have to say. Well, we'll look at. That, Jerry, we, sorry, we, we have a great community as well. Yeah. And we've got, even Saturday night, a fella. It's just so quick. A fella sent me $100 from Chicago. <laughs> uh, a fella sent me money from Birmingham in England, you know, just like that. Oh, brilliant. Once you've seen it posted, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, you reach far and wide. I know what the group... Well, look, I just want to say thanks again on behalf of Slav and his mum, uh, Nadia, and well done to everybody, to yourself, you. Orla, and everybody, Millish, and everyone involved with St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club. I won't mention the wall, will I, before I go? You know, uh, the title well, is gone, and nine years you enjoyed it, but the, the Celts will be back. Jerry, you can never put us down, you know. That tricolour flies over Celtic Park now for a reason. We've had our ups and downs and we'll come back, you know. Yeah. We were there when we stopped them winning 10 in a row. Yeah, that's right. But the only difference is we didn't go down and wreck uh, George Square. Most of us only went down and wrecked the kebab and a few pence, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, what happened with the gatherings are just shocking and, and there's, uh, I'm sure, more ramifications to come with that. But look, that's it. Celtic will rise again for sure. Oh, and... Jerry, I'll be on here next year. We'll be, <laughs> we'll, we'll be starting the journey again, the one in a row. Let me tell you that. I look forward to going back and I thank you for the uh, occasions you uh, hosted me over there in Celtic Park. It was uh, such an enjoyable time and I intend to get back over well, there Well, the way again. things are going, Jerry, it'll be you and your granddaughter ah. in the whole Show back there. <laughs> the way things are going, you're probably having a drink with us. Ah, sure. Please don't say that. Don't say that. We'll get over sooner. But uh, Ava is uh, a Celtic fan, of course, through and oh, through. Yeah. That is for no sure. No choice. <laughs> no choice is right. You're God born. Bless. You're born into it. Adrian, God bless you. Thanks so much. Lovely to yeah, catch up today. Take bless. care, yourself. Bye bye. The wonderful Adrian Hillman there. Folks, we're going great guns. I've 20 days under my belt, 20 to go, if you can help at all. Oxygen for Slav. GoFundMe.com, Oxygen for Slav. Every euro is very, very important. And I'll be posting details of a bank account as well, if you prefer to give directly. But let's keep the push going. I'm away with the runners on shortly to on my walk again today, day number 21. Halfway there is right. Coming up on the show tomorrow, what have we for you? When I find me notes here, give me a minute. 
Ah, oh, sure, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, we're talking to a girl who's uh, published a series of positive postcards. We're talking to a former hurling all-star and more besides. But Eddie's coming next with The Drive. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Wonderful music on the way with Eddie Caffrey. Thanks to Brian Farley who guided me all the way today. See you tomorrow, half one. Leave you in the company of Bon Jovi. Yes, I'm living on a prayer and I'm halfway there. See you tomorrow. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Strahda Dundalk and Cavan. Our service departments are open with all HSC and government guidelines in place to keep you and our staff safe. Sales are click and deliver only through our website, blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.